It's Thursday, the 7th of January. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. And the most pivotal, most important question at the moment is, how did the herb-crusted parmigiana go, buddy? It went really well, mate. The whole family was happy. Um, that, it's, it's a pretty simple meal, that one, but uh, always brings a smile on the kids' faces. They love it. Oh, a little bit of lemon washed down with something cold. Good on you, bud. All right, we've got so much to talk about. Joining us today, Corey McKernan, two-time premiership player with North Melbourne in the AFL and former test cricketer Gavin Robertson. Test number three, of course, at the SCG. Let's get cracking. We've got to start with the test match, Shane, and uh, the Sydney test. The weather looks a lot better than what they first thought. So, Australia, are they going to hit back and win? Uh, you, the other day you were thinking, India, have you moved? I haven't really moved yet because, uh, you know, we've got to see how we bat, mate. It's um, th- There's a lot of vifts in the Australian team. The Indians are going to come out strong again. Um, you know, the SCG is not your old typical um, bull-eye soil. It'll turn a lot, disintegrate wicket these days. It, it does quite a bit, moves around. Boomer is going to be a really, really tough guy to handle here. Um, and then they've got the tall spinner in Ashwan. So lots to do from the Aussies. But saying that, we have a world-class bowling attack as well. So you know, it's, it's going to come down to the toss, mate. We're on Warner Watch, of course, the boy that used to collect the trolleys at the Matraville Coles or Woolies or whatever it was. Uh, he, he's, he's not far off 35 years of age, but uh, there's probably not a, a more important test that he will play in than this one. Big test for him, and he, he collects trolleys these days to carry his cash around too, I think, but yeah, I um, he's, made, he's made a lot. But uh, You need a few of them. Yeah, look, I, I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again. I think Warner's doing a big thing to come back early here. Um, he's probably only about 80% fit, and um, he's risking his whole career here because if he tears it off the bone again, that could mean he could miss an IPL next year, which would cost him a fortune. So like, good on him, um, David Warner. He's got some real fight, and he'll take it to the Indians as well. So, you know, fingers crossed. But there'll be a lot of people watching... Um, when he faces that first ball and uh, with anticipation, that's for sure. Absolutely. Now, Carlos Brathwaite really enjoyed our conversation with him the other day playing for the Sixers. They got absolutely smacked up by the Scorchers. There's been some interesting results in uh, BBL 10. Yeah, absolutely smoked by the Scorchers. Uh, the Scorchers four for 183 and then bowling the Sixers out for 97. Um, you know, Ty taking four for um, and, and Jai Richard three wickets as well. They were just dominated by the... Um, by the bounce of the of the of the Perth pitch, and um, yeah, the Sydney Sixers—they'll be going back and having a back to the old drawing board at the moment and trying to reassess where where they're going for the rest of the season because they were they were dominating up to this point. Now, sports fans will be watching what has happened in Newcastle. Of course, they're a team on the on the rebuild, and um, Mitchell Pearce is is fallen on his sword pretty much. He's handing in the captaincy after that texting uh, episode. I tell you what, what, what about the ramifications of that, the text? I mean, there, there was 150 people, I think, for the wedding, all sorts of rugby league uh, Broadway acts up there around Byron Bay, called off, and now he's yeah. lost the captaincy. Uh, it does, it sits pretty firmly in the dumb file. Yeah, it does. And Mitchell Pierce can't have much sword left, can he? With all the mm-hmm. stuff he's done over the years. Um, look, the guy's a good footballer, but clearly doesn't think, does he? And um, and this is um, this is a real... Real slight on his character here because, uh, you know, it's not only the football club he's letting down, he's letting down other families now as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. And, yeah, he should not be captain of that team, that's for sure. It'll be interesting to see what happens at Newcastle, like we're watching with Richmond. And uh, with that, we're going to have Corey McKernan, of course, coming up very, very soon on our program. But I did want to just mention in uh, the finish of our deep dive, 
the end of an era, of course, Jerry from Jerry and the Pacemakers, You yes. Will Never Walk Alone, the anthem at Liverpool, Merseyside. Uh, it uh, it changes now, doesn't it? Even probably has more gravitas. Mate, it does. And just as you said that then, Timmy, and you, obviously you can't see it because this is a podcast, but the hairs on my arms stood up then. Um, just just hearing the words, you never walk alone. It's uh, it's something that's become synonymous with Liverpool. And yeah, what, what a great song and uh, what, what a legend. And he's brought a lot of love and passion to a lot of people, old Jerry. Let's have a little listen and then we'll talk to Corey McKernan. This is Afternoon Sport. Yeah, great to have your company, of course, Afternoon Sport. And we are joined now by two-time Premiership player with North Melbourne, Corey McKernan. How are you? Pretty good, mate. How are you going? Very well. Corey, uh, a few issues. We talked about it yesterday on the show, but Damien Hardwick, a um, few issues down there at Tigertown, mate. Um, you know, my point on this yesterday was basically leave the guy alone. He was um, His marriage is broken up and um, he's a real key in that club and, and a really good bloke. What, what are your thoughts, buddy? Yeah, I think this is about as as interesting as it gets because uh, from where I sit, I think the coach and the CEO of a of a football club are a bit of a moral compass for your organisation, and it's pretty non negotiable. I think their conduct and their behaviour that you're setting the standard for the rest of the the organisation. Unfortunately for for Dimmer, and uh, I think the players are then asked to behave in a certain way from what they're seeing from the top. And even more so now with AFLW teams uh, being a party of football clubs and in Collingwood's case, I know they've got, and GWS's case, they've got a netball team attached. So when you're trying to set rules and regulations about code of conduct and behaviour, it's it's a very, very interesting uh, period for the Richmond Footy Club. They would be, I know they're saying at the moment that, it's uh, it's it's ticking the boxes and it's there's nothing wrong. But I think they would be horrified after winning three of the last four flags, having to deal with a super sensitive issue like this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, look, I know it's it's January, but I'm 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 really intrigued, Shane, to see uh, the moral police in Melbourne, the Caroline Wilsons of the like. Uh, if this was in April, March. It, it, look, this this is not going to go away. It's not, is it? It's going to bubble away. And and what you just mentioned then, those journalists, both in mainstream journalism and in AFL journalism, will keep pecking away at it because there's a bit to it, you know, because we also know that those who coach football clubs are the bosses, basically. So uh, you go to a football club and the coach is a boss. So he pretty much runs the show with the CEO and everyone else underneath sort of falls into that structure. So there's a story there. What happens to the team is interesting. I mean, you've been in football teams where there's been high drama, internal strife. How does that ripple down? Look, I'm just intrigued to see the way that Richmond handle it. I'm actually reading a really good, I've read a couple of really good books written by a guy called Conrad Marshall, who had inner sanctum access at the Richmond footy club. And to hear behind the scenes the development and the amount of work that they put in to their program and like personal development and I mean the the care and interest they've got in their players, you've hit it on the head. This is this is going to be something that they really need to address in a big big way because the other thing I don't know whether you guys it's or for everyone out there whether they whether they'd seen it is that even uh, 
Mrs. Hardwick, as we'd always heard her affectionately known at the press conference, Dimmer had always uh, told over time, she was over the Cochin's house on uh, on Christmas Day. Yeah, so she's, ob- she's obviously got really strong relationships with the with the playing group, like she should have. But it's this look at the end of the day. I, look, I'm in a, I'm, I'm partially in agreement with what Shane's saying that yeah, it's mm. it's two consenting adults and they're, they're adults, but. Unfortunately, when you're, you're you're at an elite sporting organisation, that when you've got, like I mentioned, when, when you've got your coach and your CEO to held to a pretty high um, code of conduct, it, it, it makes it really hard to stand up there in front of the, the other players and say that you should be not doing the same sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, well, we won't leave it at that because it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a tough one, as you said, mate, but... Um yeah, people have met people at work for, for years, mate, and as um, long as there's no power playing it, um, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Eddie Maguire, mate, um, who's going to replace Eddie at Collingwood? I don't know how you ever replace someone like Eddie Maguire. I, I sent Ed a text message uh, when it became known that he was not going to be uh, president of uh, Collingwood anymore, and I said, well, if we could have a president's draft, no, no disrespect to Ben Buckley or anyone at the North Melbourne Football Club, but to have... Someone like Eddie Maguire at, at the head of your football club. I think the best thing about Eddie just he gives you such a voice, mm. and I think maybe to a fault that we've all seen over the the journey that Ed is in to a fault that he's incredibly loyal, um, and to have that sort of person in your football club, and, and let alone with his passion for the club and look with any luck over the journey, Ed could have won four flags at the Collingwood Footy Club. Like they, they lost to the Brisbane Lions really closely. They got beaten by Geelong in a close grand mm. final. They got beaten by the West Coast Eagles. So it could have easily been four flags and one of the most successful periods of the Collingwood Footy Club. But when Ed took on the presidency in, I think, 1999, Collingwood were broke. They were at Victoria Park, which is their spiritual homeland. And, look, he oversaw the transition to the MCG. They became the powerhouse and... Look, I think as you guys know, I think if you can walk into any organisation and leave it in a better state, yeah, um, I think you've achieved your job. And look, one other side story on Ed. This will tell you his passion. Like I can, I can be watching Foxtel, and an old game might come on. It might be the 1990 Grand Final, and I can text Ed, and within I reckon 30 seconds, like I'll text him and say, Ed, the 1990 Grand Final's on. Within 30 seconds, he'll text me back and said, "Right, I'm on it. I'm watching." And that and that just gives you an idea of the passion that he's got for the Collingwood Footy Club. It's just a, I, I have a bit of a giggle every time I try and find Collingwood games just to try and catch him out now. Oh yeah, it's 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 built in, isn't it? So it's going to be interesting to see what they do do a 23 year reign at the, at the top of Collingwood and to build the, the Lexus Centre and everything else and all the corporates he's brought to that club. It'll be really interesting to watch what happens next. Now, Corey, I know you are a big fan of other sports and in particular uh, one of those is NFL. And I've got to ask you about Tom Brady at Tampa, 43, and he's breaking records. We're getting to the pointy end of the season over there. Yeah, well, it is getting to the pointy end of the season. I know everyone in Australia obviously knows Tom Brady, but it really is the pick of the – it's their wild card weekend. So it's basically, I mean, if you lose, you go home. And that particular game is has such a great backstory that Tom Brady, as you mentioned, came from the New England Patriots. He's now at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's 43 years old, still in sensational form. They're taking on what I think is probably the best – 
sports story that I've seen in a hell of a long time. So for everyone out there, if you get the chance, look up a guy called Alex Smith mm. who had an horrific um, break of his leg. He didn't just break it, but he then had infection and nearly lost his leg and was nearly battling to walk again. He's now back at playing quarterback for Washington. And then also their head coach, Ron Rivera of, uh, of Washington. Now, it nearly catches me out, boys, every time because Washington at the moment haven't got a nickname. They used to be called the Redskins and now they're just the Washington football yes. team until they discover their, um, their new name. But Ron Rivera, their head coach, uh, also battled cancer during the year. So if you're looking for a bit of a sports story over the weekend, it doesn't get any bigger than Tom Brady and Alex Smith and Ron Rivera. And as I said, only... One team advances, but the other story on the weekend, I felt sorry. Uh, the Cleveland Browns have got the longest uh, active streak of not making the playoffs. Well, Cleveland being Cleveland, they've now lost their head coach and a few players to COVID. So only Ooh. the Cleveland Browns could do something like that. And Corey, um, who were your early tips? So I know the season's coming to a as you said, to a head. But um, what, what, are your, what are your tips to leading into the finals? Yeah, leading into the playoffs, it's, it's really hard at the moment, um, especially with home field advantage and the two, the two teams I'm about to mention. But it's really hard to go past the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know what I mean? With, with, uh, I've just gone blank on his name, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And then also uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. So with especially with those two teams, Pat Mahomes at the at the Chiefs and yeah, Rogers at the at the Packers, it's gonna be pretty hard to to put it past them. But look, it's it, it is a great time of year in the NFL and all roads lead to Tampa on February Monday, February eighth, our time. Yeah, and they've got to try and negotiate COVID all in between. One day when we've got a bit of time, and I know you're passionate about it, we can unstitch and have a look at the Green Bay Football Club because uh, it's an extraordinary story from Vince Lombardi down, and what they've done in that area is just remarkable. Now, look, uh, what else was uh, a real standout was your charitable initiative, the Walk. Tell us more. How did you go? Uh, you had an uh, an objective of feeding an amount of people for Christmas who who normally wouldn't have um, had food on the table, but you managed to overachieve on that one, buddy. Yeah, well, throughout the year, I basically came up with the idea, which is still ongoing, so if anyone wants to check it out, they can go to my sort of social media pages at Corey McKernan, but I I created a walk to help people navigate their way through the, uh, I suppose, through the pandemic. I saw a headline in the Australian newspaper about the suicide toll outstripping corona, uh, the coronavirus toll. So it was really just to help people with their mental and physical fitness. And in the end, we raised enough money to feed, I think it was close to 300 people wow. at Christmas time. So I know next year, and I've already uh, I've already spoken to Tim about this, and I know I'm, I'm tipping Shane in already, and don't worry, Shane, it'll be a paid gig, um, <laughs> is that we will be doing a – I am looking at doing a partnership with the with the Barmy Army when they come out, um, and we will be looking to grow uh, the, the Christmas Challenge next year where we'll do some live events around Australia and the, the, the Walk With Me um, Christmas Challenge will be the beneficiary. So who would have thought the Barmy Army and uh, 
all the all the piss have taken out all our boys over the years. Well, we're going to be doing it for the good, mate. It's a magnificent thing what you do, Corey. Um, it's a great thing. I know I've had a close mate in a cricketer. I won't mention his name because he was having a really really tough time over the Christmas period, um, where things all became a little bit too much for him. So, um, yeah, it's a really important time of the year to put some cheer uh, on people's tables, mate. So, well done, buddy. Uh, walk with me. It's really really good. Thanks for coming on the show today, mate. Really appreciate it. No problem, boys. See you soon. Corey McKernan there, of course, two-time Premiership player with North Melbourne. Coming up on the show, we have a former Test cricketer, a former drummer from Six and Out, of course, Gavin Robertson, to have a look at Test number three. Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. Stumptostump.com Afternoon sport, let's get cracking. Sydney Test, well, it is on and how happy are we all about it? The weather looks good. And uh, Shano, we've got one of your teammates, former band members on the line. I'll let you introduce him. Well, mate, this guy was a, not only a great teammate, but a, a great off spinner. His name's Gavin Robertson. He was the drummer of Six and Out. Riddler, how are you, buddy? Welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm very well and good morning, mate. It's, uh, it is nice and early. I'm, I'm actually away on holidays, but uh, gearing up for a test match, which I'm pretty excited about. Where are you at the moment, Riddler? I'm downtown Foster. Beautiful, mate. Beautiful. Now, Gav, uh, always good to talk to you. Of course, former test player yourself. Uh, it, it's great that we're actually getting this test match played, isn't it? Because there was so much prognostication. Were we going to get two tests in Melbourne? Was COVID going to destroy it? 25% capacity, but... Uh, it's just got such a wonderful history to it. Yeah, it has, absolutely. I think with regard to even uh, people I've spoken to this week, it's it's like, well, isn't the test starting today? And you know, they're actually getting used to a new date, but it's such a big part of their Christmas slash New Year routine. And um, I think it's imperative that we, you know, we play it at Sydney because the Boxing Day test into the Sydney test is a really important part of, uh, I suppose, Australian culture now. So... Um, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I do think it is definitely um, one of the great battles. I'm not being harsh against England, but it's there's something special about India. And also India, they don't play like they used to. And, and I'm being here, a, a little boy or a young kid watching in the late 70s, but in the 80s where we thought, oh, they're just such a nice nation, but we would walk all over them. Um, we don't do that. They're just aggressive. They're incredibly mm. tough team talented on all banks uh, within their team from from 1 to 11. Uh, it's a worry and it's also exciting for the public. Hey, really, with the, with the series level at one apiece, you'd have to think that the Sydney test, particularly day one, is going to be a, a real um, a critical point in the series. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've looked at different uh, situations in the in the previous games. And, um, look, I was, I was one of the, the many people who thought Australia would – you know, win 4-0. Um, but we, we're talking about a team that can... So if India are batting, then, you know, we, we, we're desperate to break that top three. Um, but it's no different if they're bowling. So uh, I suppose that's why we, we as a country are so desperate for an opening partnership because opening partnerships are such an important part of the test team. And first session is almost as important as... Uh, when you're literally sitting next to your wife holding her hand as she's giving birth. That's how important it is. So uh. <laughs> It's quite poignant. Our producer just become a dad, actually. 
Well, look, let's look at that because David Warner, uh, it was an interesting article that Tim Payne wrote yesterday saying that uh, not only is his batting obviously important to the Australian setup, but when he is around the players, they tend to walk a little taller. And that tends to be his attitude and he's confident, he's bullish, and that's his nickname, the bull. And he brings a lot of that other sort of swagger to the team, doesn't he? I also think it's such an important part of, of how he focuses, uh, concentrates and um, that confidence that he builds within himself just leaks and other players feed off it. So uh, do, do we need him back? Yeah. I tell you what, boys, I've got to admit, um, he'll not only be doing a press conference at the end of the game, uh, I'm sure a lot of physios will be running over saying, how do you knock over a groin injury in three and a half, four weeks? That's magnificent. Yeah. Uh, I know we'd all love to have been able to do that. But look, he's obviously worked incredibly hard. Uh, we've seen some classic people get over injuries and Warner has done it in, in a very short time, I think. And I'm expecting a lot from him, but uh, I'd, love, I'd love to see a partnership because we feed off a partnership. But if I sat here and went Marsh, Boone, Taylor, Slater, yeah, um, yeah. You know, Langer Hayden, we just know the success that built. So let's hope and pray for that. Hey, Robbo, um, you bottle a lot of the SCG being an off-spinner. Um, Ashwin, the Indian off-spinner, has been, I think, fantastic this series. His previous tours to Australia, he was actually really dominated, but he's really stopped our batsmen from scoring runs. Um, you, you're a big fan of his um, art? I'd like to see us play him uh, a little bit differently. Mm. What I'd like to see is us know the pace of the ball. So that means a batsman really focusing and watching the spinning hand and yeah. what happens for Ashwin. I don't, I don't see him as a bowler who wants to have constant singles taken off his, his, mm. his own, his overs. He's looking for maidens. He's looking for building up the pressure and changing of pace. So do we have the answer to work on it? I haven't seen it yet. So I want to see us just be okay with a single down the deck, bang, single. Then next batsman, down the deck, bang, single. And if you're doing that three times, he's going to get frustrated. All of a sudden, the four comes, he starts to leak. He's yep. not, he doesn't have control, but at the moment he does. And it's only via change of pace because it doesn't matter what's going on. Ashwin is a guy that undercuts the ball still. Now, yep. my biggest failure, and there's a there's a line of off spinners that would say the same thing, finger spinners, undercutting the ball is the reason we have not been able to become Nathan Lyon. Nathan Lyon yeah. is the bowler he is because of that overspin and bounce is imperative. So that's what we've got to do against Ashwin. Let's see if we can do that. Yeah, and that's that's to a very important issue, isn't it? Because the Sydney track, the bull-eye turf, whichever way you want to look at it, always in those last few days, it starts to turn. Um, your former teammate boys, Stuart McGill, Shane Warne, uh, the, Robbo, the list goes on, Matthews, that's when they come into their own. He's got a big role to play, doesn't he, uh, the GOAT? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he knows that. But um, I, I think, you know, his success in first innings is all due to bounce. And, um, you know, I think our bowling attack is, is brilliant. But also we can't forget the fact that our bowling attack starts and does very well over those first, let's call it 35 to 40 overs. And then, you know, eight times out of ten, it's Nathan Lyon one end and the other three just keep swapping. Mm. Mind you, um, we've got a Shane Lee involved now, except he's about seven inches taller <laughs> and uh, he's about more than seven kilometres quicker. Uh, Cameron Green just blows me away. Um, he's, he's it's not fun. as if you just can go down to Centrelink and grab a Cameron Green. 
Um, how do you how do you get a situation, boys, where it's okay? Uh, you bowl really well, Cummins, Starkey, Joshy, great stuff, boys. And you're going great up the other end, Nate. I know what we're going to do. Let's bring the 144 kilometre an hour, six foot seven bloke from WA <laughs> on us out. Just a, a bloke that's going to bowl eight, twelve, maybe fourteen overs. I, ca- I can't think of a time. When we've ever done that, mate, he's a real talent, Robbo. We talk, we've been talking about him on the show for um, for the last month or so, and um, yeah, I, I, I like the kid. He's uh, very calm when he bats, and yeah, once he works out um, exactly his role within the team, I hope the Aussie Aussie selectors stick with him because he's a, he's a real talent. But um, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. You made a good point, but um, how can the de- debutant uh, come in and play Test cricket and we watch him bat, right? So mm-hmm. everyone, I was. I was down the road the other day at, at the, the local pub and a couple of blokes brought up Cameron Green. And I said, well, what do you think? And they said, oh, I'm just a bloke. This, this fellow drove trucks. And he said, yeah, look, I love yeah. the game, but how can I work out that Cameron Green, when he plays his forward defence, he, geez, he looks really good. He does. And I said, oh, okay, stop there. I said, tell me what you think of. And I, I, I threw up uh, Lavashane. I threw up Smitty. I threw up Head. Um, and also um, even way to an extent. How many of our batsmen, and, and Joe Burns was doing it all the time, but how many of our, our good batsmen in the top six come forward with two shoulders facing the bowler? Mm-hmm. Yet our debutant looked like, you know, a David Boone or a Steve Wall forward defence with, you know, that, that, that front shoulder facing the bowler and head mm-hmm. balanced. And, and it gives him the ability to go, no, I'm not going to play this, I'll let it go. Yeah, this one's one I've got to defend. And, I think that's causing issues with us, that, that double-shouldered forward defence where we don't know if we're going to let it go or not. We nick mm-hmm. and we're a little bit confused in India are definitely on top of that. i tell you what, it reminded me, and you're old enough to remember this too, Robbo, of Tony Gregg. He looks so much like Tony Gregg in stature. I know he's a little bit quicker, but a very, very similar way of batting. And if he can ever replicate what Greggy did at the crease, God rest his soul, where he averaged over 40, he'll be doing well. Now, just, finish, mm. just finishing off... Um, most importantly, um, you were the Ringo star of Six and Out. Look, I know you guys well. <laughs> I travelled through India with the great Brad McNamara, who was part of the team as well. And I remember when one of the albums sold or went something, and he goes, oh, I've just got a sudden rush of cash. My shout here at the at the uh, the Hyatt in Delhi, and he was buying Heineken's for us and the uh, the Zimbabwe team. What was, what was Six and Out like? Uh, well, yeah, it was, look, it was magnificent. Uh, they were just great days. I mean, a lot of people don't realise, a lot of musicians that I remember, Timmy Farris from In Excess, who was a really great mate of, <laughs> of ours, and, and he was blown away by, by how long we would actually rehearse. He came to rehearsal one day and he couldn't believe we'd already been there for seven hours. But we, I, I remember there was a period there where we had a very wet season. I think it was 99, 2000, and, and we, I don't know how many days we had rained off the the SCG, but it was amazing how many times we just went straight to Ultimo and started to rehearse from 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock right through to about 7. So we, we did work our, our backside off, but the, I suppose the bigger thing was people came to see us and almost laughed that what cricketers are playing a rock show and we used to impress them because we could we'd go and play 38 songs. So um, they were the days, mate. They were the days. Well, if, Robbo, if Robbo's Ringo Starr, that makes buzzard. Paul McCartney and myself, John Lennon, so I'm happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) That that makes Binger George Harrison. All right, Gav, look, enjoy the rest of the break. Always good to chat. Yeah, it's great to talk to you both. And uh, Shano, 
You're like my brother. Love you, love you, mate. Love you. Enjoy your holiday, buddy. Thanks, thanks, Robbo. Mate. See you, boys. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you to Corey McKernan and to Gavin Robertson. Thank you to our sponsors, Spartan Sports, Shane. Spartan Sports, www.spartansportshq.com. And, of course, a huge thank you. A huge thank you. He is to podcasts what Daly Thompson was to decathlons. <laughs> Dan McHugh, he is the sensational producer of this program. See you tomorrow, Shane. See you then, buddy.